We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Hey folks, welcome back to The E-Commerce Leader and we are talking about how to buy e-commerce businesses or e-commerce websites to expand your business. In the last episode, we talked about what sort of business should you acquire and should you even acquire it and the sort of price you may want to pay. Today, we've got uh, four tips or so from Jason about the how-to piece and a few do's and don'ts as well, things not to fall into classic errors. So lots of very practical value from a man who's done it now 12 times. In Jason's uh, case, I'm extremely curious about this model and I'm looking forward to making my own acquisition at some point in the next couple of years but Jason's a man who's actually done it so um, this is much my learning as, as yours I hope that you enjoy this as much as I enjoy talking to Jason about it so here without further ado let's get into the show so the how piece what, what are your tips on how to actually go about this yeah uh, a couple tips yeah the first one I would say is don't buy retail unless you have to and you don't have to so and what I mean by buying retail is there's a ton, a ton, a ton of marketplaces now for buying companies. Shopify has a marketplace for buying companies. There are other marketplaces like Flippa, Empire Flippers, Microacquire, FE International. There's there's broker, business brokers that are out there that have constantly, you know, have new uh, listings just like real estate, really. And, you know, stuff's out there. That stuff is what I would call full retail. I don't think that's the best place to find deals. The best place to find deals is relational connections and meeting people in the marketplace, knowing them, being in touch with them. And this is how our best deals have come together. And, you know, so you put yourself out there and you say to your to, to your network, I'm looking to acquire brands. And, you know, I'd love to chat with you about that. And that's a networking thing. The reason that's so incredibly more valuable than paying full retail is you'll end up hearing about people who want to sell, but aren't really, I guess you could say they're motivated sellers in a way. They're, they're, they're selling because they're done. They want to retire. They're exhausted. They're, they've just given up on their business. You'll find people who have business assets that are more in the category of unwanted than anything else. And if you if you go to just Flippa or Empire Flippers, what you're stepping into is uh, a, a scenario in which the sellers there are fully ready to maximize the value of their <laughs> asset and have it all shiny and happy and a story to tell. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to, you know, impress you with how things are sorted out and you'll pay full retail for that. And, 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 and so I guess what I'm describing here is being a value shopper and finding things that are the less loved assets. And you know what I mean? It's just, you know, some, some people, because business is a venture that you go into, you always leave. Everyone always quits at some point. You want to find people who are ready to get out of it. And those create the buying opportunities that are more valuable. And that's just, it's just like real estate in a way, you know, so that's, that's how to look at this. 
But by the way, super smart insight. I guess I've spoken to a, a ton of business brokers and business acquirers for the podcast over the last three, four years, especially in the last few months. Yeah. As you say, it's a feeding frenzy. It really, yeah. there's such a big market for buying and selling e-commerce businesses right now. It's it's absolutely insane. But you're right that those are the guys talking about, you know, creating a sort of shiny looking business yeah. and getting great value for the seller. But as the buyer, it's not, not the value place. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about the motivated sellers thing, that has a bit of a funny sort of, feel to it in the real estate market because obviously it feels a little bit like you're trying to take somebody's home away from them and under the value that you quote should or shouldn't mm-hmm. i would say that you could feel a lot better about i don't know buying for example uh, an email list of several hundred thousand uh, names which is pretty much valueless to the general market or in, in the, yeah. the cu- couple of acquisitions you've made outside of your you know the what do you call it pixie fair uh, mm-hmm. that's Really, if they didn't sell to you, they were probably going to sell to nobody, right? So in a way, right. I think you're adding huge value where there was pretty much nothing. Yeah, And I think you can feel pretty good about that. I mean, what's your feeling? You've, you've done that a couple of times. How did you feel after the deal? I'm happy about everything we purchased, to be honest. I, I don't feel like we purchased anything that was, you know, a fail. And you're right. I mean, it, the cynical person would say, you know, there's something wrong going on. But if you find a buyer... Or sorry, if you if you find a seller who is done, they're exhausted. They don't even have the energy to market their company. And you say to them, "Hey, I'm happy to give you a fair price. Let's just make this easy." You're doing them a huge service. You're right. I mean, many times some of this stuff would just be like, "I quit. I'm giving up. I'm shutting down my Amazon account, or you know, whatever. Shutting down my website." So those those people, if you if you can find them and if you can talk to them and broker a deal, you're, you're doing a huge value. You're offering them a huge value. So there's no shame in that. I mean, I love Warren Buffett's investing style and I love his early writings and his early story. And if you've you know, never really geeked out over his story, go get the book Snowball. But then you know, can also read the Berkshire Hathaway annual letters. Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett describe their early business acquisition efforts as what they called taking the final puff of cigar butts that they find on the sidewalk. That is such a like horrible idea. They'd find a cigar butt, they'd take a few puffs, they'd light it up. Th- that's a horrible way to describe what they were buying. But their idea was they were finding businesses that had some value and life left in them that were relatively easy to acquire. And that they found value and that the other people didn't, that other people had discarded. And I remember one of their deals, they talked about one time, Warren Buffett told the story that I think it's a snowball and it's, it was about a cartography business, like a Mac map making business. And it's over time, it's top line numbers had gone down, 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 you know, going down to zero. And, but as it happens, they had an investment portfolio of, I think it was like $4 million of these really good stocks. Well, on the basis of the profit of the business, the value, the business value is really, really low. But on the balance sheet, they had this investment portfolio. So, you know, he bought that business for a song. And what he was really buying was that investment portfolio that the, the, the company controlled. I think it was in their pension or retirement program or something like that. And, and so, you know, that was, that was, you know, one of the ways he, you know, he did it. So, so these are the the ideas you want to think about and, and don't, you don't want to look at it as being anything other than helpful. And that's what you're being. And there's opportunity to be helpful for e-commerce sellers who are done being e-commerce sellers, you know? I, I couldn't agree more. And by the way, I think there's so many people to shut down Amazon businesses in, in two ways that are completely wrong. The first one is deluding themselves that anyone is going to buy a bunch of stock that didn't sell. If it didn't sell, 
then mm-hmm. it isn't going to sell for anyone else probably mm-hmm. and by the way over, over six months the market would have got twice yeah. as competitive so if it didn't sell six months ago when you ordered it and you're now trying to sell it 12 months later that's not going to be better but the other the flip side of that is they don't value the, the hidden assets yes mm-hmm. the, the profit mm-hmm. may not be there but you have you know ten thousand instagram followers where you have a fantastic relationship with them you would just lousy at doing the economics of ordering for example mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the flip side of that i've i've come across business owners i spoke to and tried to persuade into you know getting some coaching or join the mastermind they're like no i'm done i'm completely sick of it but they're fantastic at ordering and and product mm-hmm. development the stuff that i think is super hard and, and yeah. importing but they're just not very good at marketing on amazon now frankly so many people are good at marketing on amazon these days or you can hire agencies even if you're not good yeah. that are pretty on up to date with that but they're not very you know the hard thing is developing products and getting the economics of that to work so I was desperately trying to persuade him to sell his business for tons of money. And he said, no, I'm not really that interested, but you can put me in touch with somebody if you want. So that these people are out there who've just kind of given up, Mm -hmm. even though actually viewed from a certain angle, there is just a ton of value there. So whether it's a tiny, you know, business that's given up, Mm -hmm. but actually they've got a patent on a formula that's unique and could be worth a lot of money and get you six months down the line very swiftly Mm -hmm. from developing it yourself. So saving time in essence, or it's something more extreme where somebody's made several hundred thousand dollars a year and, and just kind of give it up. It's surprising what's out there. It, it always amazes me and it's really worth looking. In, it in is. My experience. Yeah, it is. And it, what, what it, when you go through this cycle a bunch of times, what you realize is that business is so much harder than just making sales and even making profit. I mean, there's a lot of mindset, a lot of, you know, strategy stuff that has to go into it. And so, and we all fail in our businesses constantly. You know, I, I heard somebody describing it this way recently. It's like fail on day, you know, today, fail tomorrow, fail the next day, the next day, fail six days in a row or take a step. Actually, he did the way he described it was take a step backwards <laughs> today, <laughs> take backwards, backwards, backwards. So six days in a row backwards. And then on the seventh day, you take a 10 step forward leap. And, but that can get exhausting and people can just be like, you know, I I'm stuck. I don't know how to get unstuck. I've tried to get unstuck a few different ways. This isn't working for me. I'm done. I've, I've reached my limit emotionally and time and energy. And you're, you know, a lot of times if you have a spouse, they can be done before you are and they can make you done. (laughs) They can be like, you're like, you're you're done with this. Yeah. I I, I hear you on that. I've, I've had that one more than once. And and to be fair to (laughs) the spouse, they're probably absolutely right. The other thing I've seen actually thinking about, but we'll move on in a sec, but this is an important one to camp on, I think. I've recently come across quite a lot of quite despondent e-commerce sellers who are um, selling now in whatever it is, August, July. They were selling maybe 30%, 50% or even less of what they were doing a few months before because they were selling into a lockdown where everyone was buying like absolutely crazy. However, if you look on the year-on-year numbers, they're doing incredibly well, but their mentality is is dropped relative to what I was used to. And, And the guy I was mentioning who I thought was sourcing a really fantastic product and, and had wrapped yeah. down for me the hard bit of the business model was actually um, doing pretty well, but just not as well as you had two years ago. And I probably let overhead grow in response and therefore the profit in the business was looking pretty, pretty poor. But if you strip that back out or if you if you could duplicate that, as you were saying earlier, yeah. you know, if you've got your back office functions or, or whatever it is, you can consolidate. That to me felt like actually viewed objectively, not what you've just got used to recently, it's fine, but I think a lot of people do get quite despondent based it's, on fairly recent history of their business. If it's not going up, they're down, if you know what I mean. If y- your comments are absolutely identical to a, a few conversations I've had recently, and it's fe- very interesting that you said that <laughs> because there there is that recency. It's called the recency effect. If you're down over the last six, three months, 
uh, or you know, 60 days, 90 days, you, you could be emotionally devastated. But if you zoom out and say, what's my year over year <laughs> success? And I've, I've literally had those conversations with, you know, people we work with and, and, but it is an emotional roller coaster. And sometimes that is off a cliff and people are like, I, this, this is not working. I'm done. So anyway, so that's the first thing is, you know, don't buy full retail. That's my first tip. Find people Great. who are done and, and work with them. Yeah. Excellent. So what's your second tip then? Sort yeah. Warning. Yeah. I, my, my second one is don't buy what you don't need and can't afford. So there's no need for heroics in uh, this situation. Y- you have a good business that's viable. You're an e-commerce operator. Find something that fits in your wheelhouse that you definitely see value bolting into your existing business that will definitely make sense for you and that there's no question about. And and then make sure you can afford it. You know, I mean, if it, don't don't take a leap financially. That's not worth it. And so go 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 small and find something that you can um, afford to do and that adds value to existing business. And just be careful not to go too, you know, too aggressive. I guess would be my my tip there. You know, yeah. There, so. there was a, a person who said, I think it was. David Packard, the founder of Hewlett Packard, uh, who said more businesses die of indigestion than starvation. Now, that's obviously for the businesses that do a lot of acquisition, uh-huh. but there is something about mm-hmm. that, right? That if you are buying something, if you buy stuff more than you can chew, <laughs> that's a coin of phrase. Yeah. But that could kill your business. Uh, and that's a very interesting statement, actually, because I think mm-hmm. most of us haven't had experience of that. But mm-hmm. I think yeah. it could be something that could really derail you quite quickly, right? Yeah, Warren Buffett is again a good good person to quote on this stuff. He has tons of business quotes on on these types of things. A few quotes that I always loved of his. First of all, he said in terms of investments, you're in a situation like a baseball player at the base at the home plate, uh, a, a batter. You can take a million pitches, see a ton of things, and never you just can sit there. And so you know you don't have to swing at something that's a it's a bad pitch. And so. That's a you know a, a thinking model that I really like. The other thinking model is a quote from him that said, "To acquire, in essence, this is what he said. I'll adapt it a little bit. But to acquire what they didn't need, they risked what they did need, and that is foolish. You know, so never put at jeopardy your core business for the hope of somehow acquiring something greater. That's foolish. That's not wise. So, so you don't want to risk." Uh, what you have going that's that's doing well with the hope of growing something bigger that, you know, it's just a, it's a bad idea. And by the way, just, this is one of the, again, the correctives to uh, a default entrepreneurial uh, mindset that I've seen, which is swing at everything. And and when you're tiny business, when you have no idea what you're doing and you have very little to lose, that actually Mm -hmm. makes quite a lot of sense as a Mm -hmm. very raw startup kind of strategy. Mm -hmm. However, I think it's really important to transition to more of an investor mentality, which is you're very, very selective. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's Mm -hmm. a big, big mental transition that I think that's one of the reasons why this sort of conversation is important for business owners to to think about because Mm -hmm. that investor mentality can sometimes be the diametric opposite to the swing at everything try everything mentality and actually that can be a good way to take a business from zero to you know a million dollars a year and then tear it back down again I think you need Mm -hmm. to transition at some point so that that's a great uh, metaphor I really like that so an obvious question we've touched on before but just very briefly how do you get the money together is it your own money SBO loan do you put a group of buyers together yeah those are the those are the ideas yeah from pay from earnings just cash from your you know savings account business savings account you can take a loan product you can do seller financing where the seller actually you know gives you terms and then you can bring in an investor. Those are four common strategies for for paying for it, sure. Yeah. 
Okay, so sticking with the, the how question, what else do you need to look out for when you're buying a business or, or pitfalls? Yeah, another tip I would have is don't fall in love with the business you want to acquire until it's yours. And don't overpay and get emotional. Stick to your valuation. In essence, what you're, you're, what you're doing is in that, in that mindset of acquisition is you want to see something that is so exciting to you that you want it and you're, you're willing to make an offer, but not so exciting to you that you lose your mind and that you say, I'm going to acquire this at all costs. And so that's where you want to just stick to your valuation. And, and so we've done that. We, we've, we've offered somebody a fair price and they've said, I want more. And we've held our ground and then the deal didn't go through. So that's a, that, that happens. And at the end of it, as I look back on the, the case I'm thinking of, I'm okay. You know, I, if I would have gotten the deal done, I would have been happy. Was I willing to pay more? No. No, I don't think I was. And I think I, in, in high, cause you know, you kind of go through this, like when you're thinking about it, you really get amped up. You're really like, oh, I want this. But then in the cooler, calmer hindsight of, you know, in two or three months later, you're like, what was that again? <laughs> why, why did I think that was valuable? But, and so, you know, you just want to stick to your guns. And if you create a valuation and you go into the negotiation, be firm about it. And, mm. and it, Two good things could happen. Either they cave and you don't, and you get what you wanted for the value you thought it was fair at, or they say no, and you don't, you don't take a risk. You don't take a gamble. And both of those are good outcomes, you know? So I like it's, it's the, uh, the businesses you don't buy <laughs> uh, that you're talking about, mm -hmm. I guess this, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the pitches that you don't take a swing at. That's, that's very good. As you yep. said, that the best way to negotiate is to genuinely be happy with walking away. And mm -hmm. if at an emotional level, if the, the seller senses that, you're more likely to get a good deal as you mm -hmm. say or you just walk away and either is a good outcome so yeah, yeah um the final tip you mentioned before about this but another sort of warning mm -hmm. about you know related to this sort of rushing in where angels fear to tread mm -hmm. yeah final yeah. tip is uh go slow start small and add one acquired business at a time and then see how it goes and the the beauty of this model it's it's the great game of e-commerce and entrepreneurship is amazing. It's just, it's just so amazing how many, you know, little, I don't know what you call, you know, mental areas of, of ex expertise you can geek out over. But the, the fun of this acquisition uh, effort work is you can evaluate your progress over time. And so things you want to learn as you go one at a time methodically and, and reflecting on what you're doing is, Am I good at adding new businesses to my existing company? If you do one deal and it is a complete disaster that you hated and it was horrible, then you've learned their lesson there. But if you say to yourself after one was done, man, this was awesome. Let's go for another one. Then you've learned something about your, your own psyche and you know your mindset. The second question is, are you good at valuing things? And thinking it through, like, did you do your diligence work properly? Did you evaluate the return on investment? Did you, you know, give it time enough so that you evaluate the the ROI questions? Is it actually valuable the way you thought it was? And and you want to learn that, you know, and it's like, you know, maybe you're wrong about this stuff. And you need if you need a correct course and and reevaluate, then it's wise to do these, you know, sequentially. A third thing you want to learn is am I good at the deal making with the sellers? You know, that's a whole art. And you want to be good at it. You want to get good where people like you. 
They know you, they trust you. They would look back and say, this was a fair deal. They would look back and say, this is a good person that they would look back and say that these guys weren't, you know, in any way, you know, un, un, professional. And so, you know, that's something to learn. And then the, the first, the third thing is, is your core business actually growing and benefiting and valuing because of these acquisition strategies? So, you want to learn all of these things and, and a lot of other things about it. But th- that's the, I guess, the, the fourth tip is go slow, start small, be methodical, do one at a time and learn it, you know, learn your, your core lessons and take time to reflect back and think about it all. Yeah, I really love this because I think what it does is make you a bit of businessman. And, and it mm-hmm. seems to be a Warren Buffett day today at, at e-com- yeah. the e-commerce leader towers. But Warren Buffett said something like the, the better businessman I become, the better investor I become and the better mm-hmm. investor, the better business person. So mm-hmm. I think what you're saying kind of ties into that really. So yeah. one one or two final questions for me. Uh, first of all, are there any deals you've lost out on that you really bummed out about that you really uh, wish it was the fish that got away? Yeah, yeah, actually, actually, there uh, there's a couple of deals that we were pretty, you know, deep into the weeds on that did fall apart or didn't work out. One was one fell apart. Oh gosh, it was a year and a half, two years ago now. And I regret it. Uh, I didn't bring enough money to the table. And the valuation I thought was fair was a valuation in hindsight that was really me trying to be as riskless as possible. And I basically, we were, I guess, at the altar, you could say, the marriage terms. And, and it, we didn't, you know, we didn't finalize the deal. And, and, and it was also a time pressure thing. And I think that was part of the trigger for me. We haven't talked about this, but it's sort of an interesting twist. The, there was a time constraint and, and the, the seller wanted to be done at a certain time. It was a retirement thing. He was moving and, and all that. And he wanted done. He wanted out. He had inventory that he was storing, which we haven't talked about inventory. We should talk about that before we wrap up too. But but he he wanted to be done at a certain time. And I was thinking, I was, I was researching, I was being a little slower than I needed to be, maybe. And and he sold to somebody else. And wouldn't you know, the people who he sold it to have just, I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. <laughs> and I could have done, I could have made it a beautiful thing. And, and uh, they took it and it's literally now like I, what happened specifically, I'll, I'll tell you, I can tell you the details, I guess it was an heirloom seed company. And it sounds sort of like a wild, like what in the world, but it's heirloom seed company. And this guy had it for like 45 years and it was a mature, long established business. And, uh, and he wanted to retire. He wanted to, he was, he was moving. I guess I'm just sharing the details. It doesn't matter. But so, so that was sort of context. And then, so it didn't work. He sold to somebody else. And then I walked into Barnes and Noble and saw the company that he sold to. They had a huge, like this fat, almost like a farmer's almanac, but it was, uh, it was a heirloom seed, huge magazine, like as advertorial, like it was like old fashioned, like that whole earth catalogs, you know, those big kind of cool. And it was all heirloom seed stuff. And that was the company. And they they were acquiring brands and adding to their empire. So that it was a strategic acquisition for them. And they were well, much more well suited to do what they did than I would have been. But nonetheless, I would I would have looked back on that, I think, with some fun. And I think it would have been uh, very profitable. And I lost the deal. And I do look back and think, how can I learn from that? And I think that only takeaway from that for me was I did see value in it that wasn't currently there in its current state. And I guess I was just only marginally 
satisfied by knowing that another company also saw strategic value in it in a way that wasn't there, you know, in the, in the moment and that they did, they really did do something amazing with it and seeing somebody else do really well with it made me kind of reinforce my thinking that I did see value there. I did know what I wanted to, to do with that business if I would have acquired it. And I just didn't get the chance. And um, so, so anyway, so the, to me, you're advising your lost, your lost deal here. I, you can, I, all, yeah, you can tell this is, is fun, right? It yeah, is, it is, it is. It's certainly the learning curve. It seems is not just in the acquisitions you make, but the ones that got away. I mean, I would say to be fair to you in terms of the truth of what you were just saying about mm-hmm. developing, if you like the trade skills and the emotional trade skills, if you will, yeah. that now that you've seen the one that got away and the fact that somebody else built value in it you've learned to build trust in your evaluation your instincts for there right. is value here right and and so maybe the next similar deal to that you will take i guess yeah anyway so, the, so that's a that's a fun one and you know uh, i think there's lessons to be learned in all scenarios in this you know this this effort so there you go so yeah that's hopefully this has been helpful yeah very interesting by the way you mentioned inventory and you said that we ought to talk oh, about sure. that if we got yeah. time to talk about that today or do you want to do that with another time yeah, let's just add it as sort of a footnote. You know, one of the deal points for e-commerce businesses in particular would be the stock on hand. And how, how do you understand what value to place on inventory that people have? And to your point, as you made the comment, it triggered my, my thinking on this, which is, you know, a lot of e-commerce sellers who have come to the point of quitting will have products that they source and inventory on hand that is not selling. and you know, that uh, in their mind, it's an asset. Actually, technically, in in many ways, it's just a liability and uh, a cost. And in in the reality of it, to them, it's a sunk cost and they see value in it if they could sell it. The issue is they can't sell it. And the question is, could you sell it? And so that's one of the tricky points of you know, and a physical goods e-commerce business is, is the inventory on hand. And so you want to just think through that um, and really be honest about your ability to move those goods. And, you know, the people can do a lot of shenanigans to juice sales. So you, you really want to understand, you know, is there sales velocity? Is it declined over time? Is it completely vaporized or is it completely on the back of very expensive ads that have made it not profitable, but nonetheless have propped up the sales. Those things you want to discover, understand, and really think through before you place a value on on inventory. And so the deal, though, at the end of the day, would look something like an offer for the business based on the earnings, and then a payment for inventory on hand. You know, and that, that would be two parts of the deal in essence. And and sometimes you can say, I don't want this, and I do want that, or you know, but there's there's uh, some sorting out to do there in that regard. And so I just I wanted to make sure we mentioned that before we wrap up. Yeah, yeah thank you. I think that's a really important point, uh, which is makes e-commerce businesses different from something with more digital assets, for example. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one thing I would say is this is probably a maturity test for the seller. Um, if they genuinely believe that the value of the stock is what they paid for it, they're, they're stuck in the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. They're going to be difficult to do a deal with, I would say. And by the way, a lot of fairly early stage people who give up uh, seem to be stuck in this the yeah. more mature people might say that as a negotiating tactic but the truth is they know in you know and they've done the calculations of what the true value is and it may mm-hmm. be a tenth of what they paid for it sadly mm-hmm. so it, uh, that's a uh, yeah one of those reality check conversations that may or may not go well depending on the maturity of this seller i would suggest mm-hmm. 
So listen, fascinating stuff. And thank you, by the way, for sharing the things that didn't go your way as well as it did the, the ones that did. So really huge for, for me from today's conversation. Really, really fascinating. Can you summarize a few takeaways from today's sort of how you evaluate the deal, what kind of deals you should do, the hows, you know, sure. do's and don'ts? Yeah, I would just say the first question is, uh, does the business you're looking at acquiring add strategic value to your work? If it does, then, then it's an interesting opportunity to pursue. And then the second question is, can you acquire it at a reasonable price? You don't know that until you get into the negotiation. So those are the two top level triggers to think through. And if those things can start to sort themselves out, then the tips are you know, don't buy retail unless you have to and don't buy what you don't need and you can't afford. Number three, don't fall in love with the brand or the the assets until you've actually acquired them. Be willing to walk away. Number four is go slow, start small, add one at a time and learn your lessons as you go. When you do those things, you'll start to add real value to your business in a new and interesting way. And I think if you go through this process a few times, you'll become a better business operator for the effort. And there you go. That's the uh, summary of it. Yeah, this is great stuff. Well, now segueing smoothly on to our contest winner, which has got pretty much nothing to do with the uh, topic <laughs> at hand, but uh, we have been running a contest, obviously, for anyone who wants to subscribe to the show, um, mm-hmm. wherever that may be, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And I believe we have a winner. So tell us a little bit about that. We do. We ran the contest in the month of July. And so if you're listening to this now afterwards, then thanks for entering all those who did. Rebecca Murray is our winner. She's been uh, contacted already. So that's super exciting. Thumbs up. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for the support for the show. Uh, Fun little shenanigan on our side to just have people uh, hit that subscribe button and follow us on their you know, podcast player of choice. So we really appreciate that. It's an honor. So for everybody who entered, I just want to thank you again for your support for the show. It really means a lot for you to share these episodes with your friends, to share them into your Facebook groups, or you hang out with other entrepreneurs, all those kinds of things. I will also just make one final shameless plug at the end of this conversation, if it's all right, Michael. Um, If you have a business asset that you want to sell, and you think there would be an opportunity to talk to me about it specifically, feel free to reach out. The contact form on ecommerceleader.com is available. If you're uh, ready to sell an e-commerce business and you're trying to do what we've described here where you're networking and you're trying to you know, find uh, somebody to buy it, maybe you, know, you don't think it's listable on the big marketplaces, something like that, then please do reach out. I'm currently in the market specifically for home and garden out like outdoor and garden brands and SaaS software related to e-com. And so those two things would pique our interest, but there you go. And Michael, if they reach out, maybe you'll become an acquirer of brands who knows. So. Yeah. Well, like if you've got something that's outside of the sort of assets that you think uh, is more listable than a big marketplace and, and not in home and garden or SaaS. So, so outside of Jason's space, then it's probably worth contacting me because I do know a ton of business brokers and business acquirers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a list of people that I've got pretty close relationships with and I have actually got some deals going through for some clients so that they know what they're doing. They yep. could trustworthy people. So you can always reach out to me. Just Michael at Amazing FBA is probably the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. So there you go, folks. Not only can you get to subscribe for fantastic advice for free, but you could also potentially sell some assets that you thought you couldn't sell. So um, all the value here, Jason, it's been a real, uh, you know, really great feet on the ground take on a a complex topic. So as ever, thank you, man, for for your wisdom and insight, really privileged to be part of this thing with you. Honor to do it, man. Thanks so much. 
That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England, and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.